1: I'm going to pull out my final witness. I'm going to pull out the big gun. I'm going to one. You won't believe the Father? That's fine. You won't believe John the Baptist? That's fine. You won't believe my works? Okay, that's fine. You won't even believe the scriptures, your own scriptures? Okay, that's fine. Here comes the big gun, folks. I'm going to pull right out and I'm going to nail you right on it. He is your accuser. Our accuser?
0: Who is that? Oh, and by the way, his name's Moses. The religious leaders and Pharisees had every right to look at Jesus with skepticism. As Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, the problem was that they had constructed rules and interpretation of God's law that contradicted the heart of God and made it impossible for them to see the truth of who Jesus was. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 5 as he begins his message, The Best for Last.
1: You are assured John 5, feel the need to read from 31 through 47 since we've just got through studying that in depth for a while now. So I'm going to read those verses, chapter 5, 31 through 47. You can read silently as I read aloud. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true, Jesus is speaking. There is another who bears witness of me and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe? Who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Did you know that determining the order of witnesses in a trial is like deciding the batting order of a baseball game? It's all about strategy. What witnesses you're going to call, when you're going to call them, is an extremely important part of the trial because the witnesses are the storytellers. The witnesses tell the story. They're the ones who saw it happen. They're the ones who know all the particulars of the various things that went on. They can explain the evidence clearly. And they're the ones whose testimony can convince a jury of a person's guilt or their innocence. In chapter 5, Jesus has been accused of a crime. He's been accused by the religious leaders. A crime that carries the penalty of death. Jesus has been accused of breaking their law concerning the Sabbath. He healed the lame man on the Sabbath day, a man who was lame for 38 years. And then he proceeded to commit blasphemy when he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. We read in verses 31 through 47 how Jesus responded to the religious leaders' accusations. He presented testimony after testimony of witness after witness to support his claims. He saw John the Baptist. It was John the Baptist who announced Jesus coming into the world. When he actually pointed at him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said of John that he was a burning and shining lamp. I love that. And that they were all attracted to him. And they all went to him for a while. And many of them were baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus would later recognize John the Baptist as the greatest of all prophets. The greatest of all prophets. Why? Because when he saw Jesus, he said, There he is. But none of the religious leaders believed him. None of the religious leaders believed John's testimony about who Jesus was. Secondly, Jesus said, Okay, then believe me for the works that I do, the works that were accomplished through the Father. Those works alone bear witness that the Father has sent me. They bear witness that I am the Son of God. These works included the healing of the same lame man we just talked about. These religious leaders saw the lame man. They knew for 38 years he had been lame. They saw him with his own eyes walking into the temple. They watched. They saw. But they didn't believe. Why? Because their hearts were hardened. Their pride got in their way, and their vanity got the best of them. And all they wanted to do was place Jesus into their religious box. We need to be careful of the religious box, folks, because it sneaks up unaware. And Sometimes we find ourselves in the religious box. Sometimes we find ourselves wanting to place others in the religious box. We need to be ever so careful of the religious box. We had a long discussion about what the religious box was. We need to be ever so careful. Thirdly, Jesus said, the Father himself testifies of me. This should have been enough. This should have been more than enough. But they didn't hear the voice of God because they didn't have God's word abiding in their hearts. They refused to believe that Jesus was sent by God. The last one that we studied was, although they knew the scriptures, they studied the scriptures, they searched them continually, they missed the fact that the scriptures spoke of one person and one person only, the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. They missed it. Now, we read and studied John 2.25 when Jesus said he knows all men's hearts. Jesus knew that the religious leaders only wanted to be honored they wanted to be revered by the people. They don't want it to be served by the people because they didn't have the love of God in their hearts. Jesus knew that of them. Had they had the love of God in their hearts, they would have been meek. They would have been humble. They would have been willing to serve. And I look at this as a great litmus test for our life. This is a great litmus test to see if we have the love of God abiding in our hearts. Are you meek? Do you have humility? Are you willing to serve? Or do you want to be served? You are the one who wants everybody to look at you and acknowledge you. It's a great litmus test of the love of God in our heart. Jesus warned them, hey, you're not going to believe in me? Guess what? Someone else is coming. Someone else is coming, and him you will believe because he'll honor you. He'll give you the honor you so desire because you don't seek the honor from God. You seek the honor from man. Where do you seek your honor? Are you looking for man's approval? Are you looking for man to pat you on the back? Are you looking for that a boy or a girl? Is that all you work for? Is that all you do? When you do something for someone in need, are you looking for that? Are you waiting for that? Because if you are and you get it, that's your reward. Hang on to it because that's your reward. Where do you seek your honor from? Jesus laid out his case pretty well. He methodically produced witness after witness, after witness, to support his claim. He laid it out right there. It was a strategic order to get the beneficial effect that he wanted. Hearing these things, these religious leaders should have immediately fell to their knees and repented. They should have immediately fell to their knees and accepted Christ as the Son of God. They should have turned to him on these witnesses alone. Even only on one of their witnesses should they have turned to him. But they refused to believe. Their hearts were so hard. Their hearts were so hard. They refused to believe. They continued in their unbelief about Jesus' identity. They continued to reject him. So Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna pull out my final witness. I'm gonna pull out the big gun. I'm gonna win. You won't believe the father? That's fine. You won't believe John the Baptist? That's fine. You won't believe my works? Okay, that's fine. You won't even believe the scriptures? Your own scriptures? Okay, that's fine. Here comes the big gun, folks. I'm going to pull him right out, and I'm going to nail you right on it. He is your accuser. Our accuser? Who is that? Oh, and by the way, his name's Moses. Moses? Yes, let's look at 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in him you trust. Jesus brings out the big gun. Jesus brings out the one who they're trusting in for their deliverance, who they're trusting in even today. They're still trusting in the name of Moses as deliverer. And Jesus brings that by out. He's the one you're trusting in. He's the one. Jesus declared, wait a minute, I'm not the accuser. I love that. Jesus does not accuse you. If you remember correctly, turn one page over to chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, specifically verses 17 through 21. Jesus says, I'm not the accuser. Look what he says here. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And the men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does, the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they being done in God. Jesus says, I'm not going to accuse you. I didn't come to accuse. That wasn't my job. Jesus says, hey, man, it's not my job. I'm not going to accuse you. I am not going to. I am not your accuser. I didn't come to accuse the world. And here, I love these verses that we just read in John 3. Jesus reveals the heart of a father, the heart of a father who would send his only begotten son to earth. What was Jesus' job? To bring salvation to mankind. Jesus' job was to bring rescue, to bring hope, to bring healing to mankind. Listen to one common center said about this. Some men will, in fact, be condemned. And that as a result of Christ coming into the world. But the purpose of his coming was not condemnation. The purpose was salvation for all who would call upon his name, for all who would believe. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that he's not the accuser. But there is an accuser, an accuser of the entire nation and him you've placed your trust in. His name is Moses, Moshe in Hebrew, Moshe. Now, John told us in chapter one that the law came by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Moses is the one accusing you guys. Why does Moses accuse them? Why would you think Moses was accused them? Well, for one thing, Moses laid out the law. Moses received the law from God and brought it back to the Israelites and said, here's God's law. You have to obey this. You have to obey it one line by one line. You can't disobey any of it. You've got to obey it all. Moses told them how God would have them live. And then they haven't lived up to the standard. So the law stands as an accuser. Moses represents the law. He stands as the accuser. He's not the redeemer. He's not the savior. The law cannot save you. The law cannot save you. The law cannot make you righteous. The law cannot make you righteous, though the law is good. The law will make you realize just how far short you have fallen from God's grace. The law will show you this. Jesus is saying, hey, guys, don't think I'm going to stand up and accuse you before the Father. The one you're trusting in, the one you're believing in, that's Moses. He's going to accuse you. He's going to accuse you for you believed him. The Jews trusted Moses. The Jews revered Moses. And you know what? Many of them still do to this day. To this day, they still revere Moses. Moses. Let me give you some example. Listen to what the great Hebrew historian Josephus said about Moses. Quote, He was one who exceeded all men. He had a graceful way of speaking. He had full command of his passions. He was as great a general and prophet that was ever known. When he spoke, you would think you heard the voice of God himself. Pretty nice commentary on Moses. But then... In Deuteronomy, in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, verse uh, chapter 34, it's believed that Joshua writes this about Moses. Since Moses had already died, they believe that Joshua wrote this because Moses wasn't the type, the type of guy to write this about himself. Joshua wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Deuteronomy 34, let's look through 10 through 12. But since then... There has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, in all signs and wonders, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, before all his servants in all his land, and and by all the mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in sight of all Israel. What a beautiful epitaph. What a beautiful epitaph Joshua writes of Moses. Moses was unique. He was a unique person because of Number one, his personal intimacy with God. Moses had a personal intimacy with God, not just because the physical face-to-face, but it carries the idea of unhindered relationship. He had an unhindered relationship with God. Moses was unique in the number of kind of miraculous works he did, all the plagues, all the other things. Moses was unique in the power and authority in which he would lead the nation of Israel. Moses was a very unique man. And since then, there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses. Sure, there may have been great leaders. There may have been great prophets and there have been great priests. But before the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, there was never one man who held all those titles simultaneously like Moses. Like Moses. To this day, the Jews, as I said, revere Moses. And they still call him the Deliverer. When I was working at Cape May Tech, there was a young female PE teacher who was Jewish. And we spent a lot of time talking about Christ. I spent a lot of time witnessing to her about Jesus Christ. Spent a long time in the Old Testament trying to witness to her, trying to share Christ with her. And every time I would, she would say, I don't want to hear about Christ. I want to hear about Moses. I said why Moses because he's our deliverer. I said, "Oh, you're in for a big surprise. <laughs> you are in for a big surprise, dear." I asked her. I asked her, "Who are they writing about in some I mean in, in Isaiah 53?" I said, "Who are they writing about in Isaiah 53?" She said, "You want me to say it's been written about Jesus Christ." I said, "I didn't say that. I just want to know who you think it's written about." "Obviously, you think it's about the Messiah." They're in for a big surprise. They're in for a major surprise, because Moses, whom they think is their deliverer, Jesus here is saying, he's your accuser. He's accusing you, because you didn't obey the law. You didn't obey the law that God gave you. You didn't do the things that God was supposed to give you. So it's Moses whom the Jews trusted accusing them before God. Why? Because Jesus says, Moses wrote of me. Go back to our text here. Look at verse 46. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he, Moses, wrote about me. Jesus declared, If you believed Moses, you would have believed me. These religious leaders rejected Jesus because they rejected God's word that he had given to Moses. Moses wrote about me, Jesus said. Moses accuses them because all through the first five books of the Bible, which were written by Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's called the Pentateuch, it's called the Law, it's called the Torah. In there is more and more and more information about Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5 39, we studied it a couple of weeks ago. You search the scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but they testify of me. The words written by Moses fulfill this, prophetically speaking about the Messiah in so many places. So many places. I've picked I've picked a few out, but there are so many places where Moses talks about the Messiah. One of the ones that is most quoted is Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is a prediction of the Messiah. This is a prediction of Jesus Christ, a prophecy. In Numbers 21, verses 8 through 9, and we study this back in John 3. Make a fiery serpent, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So it was. If if a serpent serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And Jesus says in chapter 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Where is the Son of Man lifted up? On a cross, on a cross. Moses was speaking of Jesus Christ. Moses was speaking of him. In Numbers 20, verses 8 to 12, and in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, Moses is told to strike the rock to get water out of it. Paul says Jesus was the rock. Paul says Jesus was the rock. In Leviticus 1 through chapter 7, it talks about all the different kinds of offerings that you're supposed to make. All the offerings that you're supposed to make to God, that you're supposed to bring before God. Well, guess what all those offerings are example of? Jesus. Every single offering is an example of Jesus Christ. And it all has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Tabernacle. Go back to the tabernacle in Exodus. Every single part of the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ. Every single part of the tabernacle in some way, somehow, shows Jesus Christ and his ministry. The word propitiation alone, which happens in Romans 3.25, speaks of the mercy seat on the Ark of Covenant, the propitiation. Where does the law of the bondservant come from? Exodus 21 and Psalm 40. Who said they were a bondservant? Jesus Christ said he was a bondservant. Psalm 40, verse 7 says, No wonder Jesus could say, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Yeah, Dave, I know that's Old Testament. Well, that's what we're talking about, Old Testament. But let me take you to the New Testament. I wouldn't want to leave you guys out. Two guys are walking down the road to Emmaus. You know the story. After the resurrection, these guys didn't even know that he was raised from the dead. Jesus appears to them. You know the conversation. They go back and forth. What? Where you been? All, where you been all week? Talking about this guy, stuff like that. And then it says in Luke 24, 27, that beginning at Moses, beginning at Moses and the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in the scriptures the things concerning him. One commentator said this, quote, so the writings of Moses were prophetic. In them, nothing was completed. Nothing that Moses wrote of was completed. They all came together through Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every single one of those things that Moses wrote about in the first five books of the Bible. And this is an pert- important testimony of the Lord through the Pentateuch. That's what it's called. The first five books, the law, the Torah. It's very, very important that it speaks of Jesus Christ.
0: Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at ashorehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at AssureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.